Well, I got to say, I am, I am really humbled that the Lord has allowed us to be here today. Um, before I get started, I want to thank you specifically, each and every one of you, for holding us up in prayer during the trying season for our family last month. We have felt your prayers, and they definitely worked. So thank you so much for um, your presence with us through that valley. And so it makes it extra special to be here today. Um, and the moment is not lost on me. Um, I stand on the shoulders of at least 200 years of prayers of Albanian people, hoping and praying that the day would come that they would hold in their hands a reliable and accurate translation of the Word of God in their language. So I am not only humbled, but I approach it with fear and trembling because I know just a speck of what it has cost in just our little corner of the world, what it has cost to the people of God um, for us to have the privilege to stand here today. And uh, we are here today to give the testimony of how God works and how he has worked specifically with a heart and love for our people and our nation through millennia. In fact, only a handful of nations are privileged enough to be mentioned in the New Testament, and we are one of them. And uh, uh, in Romans 15, verse 19, the Apostle Paul writes, through many signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Illyricum is the ancient name for present-day Albania, Kosovo, and other territories in the region still inhabited by our people, Albanian-speaking people. There's a good reason why Paul mentions Illyricum to the Romans. As you can see in that little minuscule map, the pink, that, that pink region that says Illyrians, it's, it's, our, it's our part of the world. And on the other side, it's the famous Italian boot. You know, so when Paul was writing to the Romans, um, you know, we are, we are located so close that the closest, uh, the strait of Otranto is 45 miles from Albania to Italy. It's really, you know, quite near. And so when Paul stood on the Albanian shore, he could literally see Italy. He could see the mountains across the sea. So that's as close as he got to the Roman believers before he physically went to meet them. And it is believed and supported by enough evidence that Paul made his landing in Albania in Durahikum, which is present-day Duras, which I know there is a lot of people here who have visited the Duras Bible Church. And uh, there were several from your church who spent quite a few months there when the church was first planted. And um, the ruins of that great ancient city, uh, its marketplace, its Colosseum-style Stadium and many other historical sites are still commonly found among the other, you know, communist and postmodern architecture that surrounds it. But it's, this is tangible. This is not just some fairy tale from a long time ago. You know, this is not Lord of the Rings. This is our everyday life. You know, we pass by these ruins and by these ancient, you know, um, crumbs of history that attest to a great heart that God had for this place. Duras is a 3,000-year-old Illyrian city established by Greek colonizers and the Taulante Albanian tribe. And back in its day, in the ancient Greek world, it was one of the richest cities. It, it was an important port city. That's why it makes sense that Paul would come there. Um, it hosted Illyrian, Greek, and a thriving Jewish community. It was great in power and very populated. 
And then under Roman rule, it continued to prosper, to prosper and it became, became the western end of Via Ignatia. Now, Via Ignatia is kind of like when you talk about the Silk Road, you know, in the movies. Well, it's similar to that. Via Ignatia is, if you can see that little red line, it's a road that stretched from Duras, that corner of Albania, all the way to Constantinople. And it ran through um, Illyricum, Macedonia, Thracia, running through territories that are now part of modern-day Albania, northern Macedonia, Greece, and European Turkey. So it basically names all the territories of Paul's ministry in Greece and Asia Minor. Now, Duras became a Christian city quite early on. I hear today is a special day for this church. March 7 is the 163rd year of a continuous presence in this city. And that's, that's just amazing. I'm, I am jealous with holy jealousy <laughs> for the continuation and the persistence of generations. And, but the first church of believers in Albania was, as is mentioned by various sources, is created around the year 58 listing a membership of 70 Christian families, no doubt, direct result of Paul's evangelical efforts. To put it in perspective, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans in the winter of 57-58 AD from Corinth, Greece, which is a little further down to that map. So, um, during, then further down the road, during the reign of the Catholic Roman Empire and the majority of, of Europe, as you know, the Albanian territories maintained, stubbornly, a Paleo-Christian style and then were primarily under the Byzantine rule, um, although the northern part had a stronger uh, Latin church presence. The territories were favored by Emperor Justinian I, who was of Albanian descent, and a handful of Byzantine churches survived to this day in corners of Albania, which were built by Justinian's patronage. And these churches had a vast wealth of biblical texts, over 47 manuscripts of codexes of various contents survive to this day. So when we talk about, you know, this is a church that knows the truth about manuscript evidence and lines of manuscripts and types of manuscripts, well, Albania has 47 various manuscripts that contain primarily the New Testament. The most famous of them is Codex Purpurus Beratinus, the Purple Codex of Berat. Berat is a city in the southeastern part of Albania. It is believed to have originated in Patmos, and we know what happened the Isle of Patmos, right? So it's a sixth century manuscript which contained all four of the Gospels, but today only Matthew and Mark survive. And a note in the manuscript uh, some centuries later says that the loss of the two other Gospels were due to the Franks of Champagne, the French, during the Crusades, when they ransacked the city, they took part of the, the manuscript. For us Bible nerds, and I know there's a few in here, it is a unical illuminated manuscript in Greek, containing 190 parchment leaves with two text columns per page, 17 lines per page, 8 to 12 lines, letters per line, and it's written in silver ink. The text is divided in chapters, but not in verses. Now, the only person who has examined them from a text, uh, critic, 
the absurd uh, expression, text, crit text criticism. And I don't think there's anything more weird than criticizing God's text, but you know, it's, it's a thing. So um, um, the only person who has approached it with that kind of uh, mindset was a uh, French Catholic priest and church historian named Pierre Batifol, which examined this codex and other, other manuscripts found in Albania at the time. Now, 1886, again, Bible nerds, this is roughly six years after the, the Westcott and Hort uh, theory, so he was a fan of Westcott and Hort, so he dismissed these Byzantine-type texts as containing many interpolations, and he likened them to the Syriac Peshitta, which I take it as a compliment. Kurt Allen classified them as Byzantine texts, but did not analyze their contents. Now, the manuscript was not originally this purple color. It became purple during World War II. Because of its uniqueness, it was in the list of artifacts that Hitler was trying to gather across Europe. Hitler sought this particular text out. And two Albanians risked their lives by hiding it in a dry well, but the humidity of that environment oxidized the silver ink and it turned into this purple color. And that's why it's known by that, by that name. Now, throughout the centuries, Albania was inhabited by Latins, Greeks, and Jews until the Middle Ages, when Albanian territories fell under the Islamic invasion. Now, the Ottoman rule was brutal, destroying to the ground and burning entire cities and communities, burning institutions of learning, and historical indications of the pre-existing communities. In Duras, in the center of the city, there's a church foundation which was destroyed to the ground, and then the mosque was built over it. And there are several of these throughout the country. The population was forced to converse, to convert, to convert, convert, convert. Yes, that's in the English word. They were forced to renounce their faith by death, violence, and higher taxes. So faced with this, uh, with these with these consequences, many Albanian Christians facing this persecution fled across the Adriatic, we saw the map earlier, to Italy, to the Italian shore. From, 19, from 1448 to 1532, several waves of Albanian immigrants settled all over the coast of um, Italy. And these Albanians, numbering in the tens of thousands, when they crossed the, the sea, they took with them their manuscripts and set up their distinct Byzantine churches in Italy. They're known to this day with the name La Chiesa dei Greci. Although they are not Greek, they're Albanian, but because of the Byzantine style in their churches. And to this day, the Arboresh communities, as they're known, Albanian-speaking communities in Italy, still speak medieval Albanian and carry on their traditions and, um, and maintain their, their, uh, their culture. Now, it is important to see this migration in the context of the big, bigger picture of manuscript history. Because we know then that in 1502, Erasmus took his first trip to Italy, where he met many Greek-speaking immigrants from the conquered Byzantine territories, and they became his source for the texts that he used in compiling the New Testament texts, which is the basis of our Textus Receptus. So throughout history, God maintained his course and found a way to preserve the manuscripts and to give light 
to our people. But the consequences of five centuries of Ottoman rule in Albania were devastating and echo to this day. We are known as the second white Muslim country in Europe. It's just us and the Bosnians that we are widely recognized as a Muslim nation in Europe. And during the 500 years of the Turkish rule, they forbade the writing, teaching, and speaking of the native language, maintaining power through ignorance, violence, and superstition. So once a jewel on the Mediterranean, the country was reduced to a speck of its previous glory. In 1824, John Mellish published this map of Albania, in which he indicates that there was only one maid road, three cart roads, and 13 horse roads. So the country had become a wild wasteland. But God, rich in his mercy and grace, did not forget the souls of our nations. The next picture is a building in London. This is the building of the British and Foreign Bible Society, found in 1804 with a simple but, prof simple but profound vision. The Bible for the world. Amazingly, the Albanian language attracted their attention as early as 1816. Now, some of these historical facts from this point on, I need to give credit to uh, David Hossefluk, a missionary for many years in Albania, who has established a, uh, an, an institute. It's called the uh, uh, Institute for Albanian and Protestant Studies, who has brought to light a lot of these amazing aspects of our history which were lost not only during 500 years of uh, uh, Turkish reign in Albania, but also during, during communism and the imposed atheist period in Albania. So he's done an amazing work in working with both the Albanian archives and the archives of the uh, British Bible Society and the American Board of Missions to unearth some of these facts about the light that kept on shining through this dark corner of the world through the ages. So in, in August, of, August 26, 1816, a missionary by the name of Robert Pinkerton published in the British and Foreign Society, uh, Bible Society report the following statement. The furnishing of the Albanians with a New Testament in their own language is an object highly worthy of the attention of the British Bible Society. This nation occupies a great part of the ancient Illyricum and Epirus and speaks a language with no grammatical affinity with the Slavs, Turkish, or Latin languages. I have no doubt from the conversations I've had with some intelligent Albanians here that persons competent to the ta task are to be found here and the expense both of the translation and the printing must be defrayed by the British and Foreign Bible Society. As a result, in 1824, the first book of the Bible ever translated in Albanian was printed and it was the Gospel of Matthew. It is also the first ever printed book in the Albanian language. It is a test run in preparation for the printing of the New Testament. With the persistence of, of the missionary Robert Pinkerton, the Bible Society signed a translation agreement with Vangel Mexi. He completed the translation in 1821, but there's a problem. We've been 500 years without a written language, so there was no alphabet. What, how do we publish it? How can people read it? So the first run, this first uh, book, it is actually in the Albanian language, but utilizing Greek letters. So if you see the, the letters, they definitely look Greek, right? But that's, that's Albanian in there. So um, 
the first book that was printed uh, in, uh, in Albanian was with Greek letters. In 1827, the Albanian New Testament was published for the first time, containing 486 pages. It was printed in 2,000 copies, made possible by the British Bible Society. Vangel Meksi died before seeing the finished work that he started, but God had another man ready to go. His name was Constantine Christophoridi. Christophoridi in the Greek language means light bearer. He changed his name when he started to do this work because he wanted to be a light bearer for his nation. All the children in Albania know who he is because he's called the father of the Albanian language for his untiring efforts to develop the language and the translation of the Bible in his native tongue. He was educated in Greece in, in the 1850s, 1850s, but in 1857 his life would change forever when he met, while in Smyrna, Turkey, an American evangelical missionary, David Ladd, who would later write this testimony about Christopher Eve. Three new members have just been admitted to the church. One of these is a liberally educated Albanian. He was brought up on the shores of the Adriatic. At 16, he went to the University of Athens, where he spent six years, after which he was 10 years in government employment at Trieste, whence he came from nine months ago. He was of Greek faith, but while at Athens, he became an infidel and so remained during his academical course. While at Trieste, however, his conscience did not let him rest. Amen? We talked about conscience as the great communicator this morning. He began to read Greek theological writers to find some reason for their faith, but could not. He then turned to the Roman Catholic writers, but found them still more unsatisfactory. Amen? At length, after years of melancholy, he found Protestant books, and reading them began to hope that he had secured food for his hungry soul. When he came to Smyrna, he was already well satisfied as to the authority of the revelation and the truth of the Protestant doctrine, and soon after, he deliberately adopted the faith. This was before seeing a missionary or conversing with an evangelical Christian. He soon came to see Reverend Ladd, had many conversations with him, began to attend our service, and after several months, desired to be admitted to the church. After a full examination, he was received. For several months, he has expressed a strong desire to accompany any missionaries to his own country, although he is now profitably employed in the Austrian consulate of the city. These missionary longings have lately taken the definite form of a desire to translate the scriptures for the Albanians. He is peculiarly adapted for this work, having a good university education by which a naturally strong mind has been trained. The additional of a theological course has been deemed desirable, and he has been sent by us to Constantinople to pursue his studies and to carry out his translation. In Istanbul, Christophoridi began studying at the Bebek Theological Seminary, but several months later he was transferred to the Protestant College in Malta, where he studied for three years. He studied Hebrew there. Now, the British and Foreign Bible Society faced a multitude of difficulties as they worked to distribute Albanian Bibles between 1816 and 1858. 
Mainly, they were still under Ottoman rule, so they prohibited not only books in native language, but also of a different religion. We saw the state, you know, how difficult it was to travel from one place to another. You know, there was only one made road, and I'm sure it was rush hour all the time, everybody was on it. And the lack of an alphabet made it very difficult. So, in 1860, they, they decided that um, they needed a capable Albanian translator as well as a qualified and determined missionary to push forward the Albanian project. So in 1860, they found Alexander Thompson, who developed a productive and enduring working relationship with Constantine Christoforidis. The result of this partnership were several publications of the New Testament, which is the next slide, and they were published in two major Albanian dialects, and then they published the Psalms, the Gospels, and then Christoforidi translated the story of the scriptures, and then they published a variety of scholastic books, pamphlets containing the Gospel, and a continuous work for the development of the Albanian alphabet. And there's a typical page that would accompany the, pu the publications, because, like I said, people, would, people that would be educated and be able to read would be educated in different languages. Some would be educated in Greek, some would be educated in Arabic, some would be educated in French. So they would always have uh, a page like this in all their publications that would give the key in different languages to the symbol that they were using in the alphabet. It was like a code cracker, basically, in the, in, in the front pages of the, of the Bible. Christophoridi accomplished by God's grace an incredible work for the nation who had been deprived for their from their language and the light of the scripture for centuries. It is incredible. In his effort to give his people the word of God, he also gave them their first alphabet and the first Albanian dictionary. He labored while still under Ottoman rule, suffering hardship and persecution, loneliness and sickness. He did not have a congregation that he belonged to. He did not have a church family that he belonged to the whole time he was doing this work. But he knew both dialects of Albanian as well as Greek, Latin, Hebrew, English, Italian, Turkish, Bulgarian, Arabic, French, and German. He managed in less than seven years to finish the New Testament in two different dialects in Albanian as well as Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, Psalms, Proverbs, and Isaiah. Near his death, he finished Ruth, Esther, Nehemiah, and Ezra, which never got published and were lost. Throughout his work, he relied solely on the Texas Receptus Greek text and expressed continuous reliance on his King James Bible for his work process. He died in 1895, unable to conclude a full translation of the entire Bible. However, the fruits of his labor would come to fruition in the next generations. Through the work and the ministry of a family, the Chiriazis. The American Board of Missions established in 1810 a work in the Ottoman Empire. And in 1873, they sent two American missionary families, the Jennies and the Bards, to establish a missionary st station in Manastir, which is an Albanian city, in present-day Macedonia. They set up a church and a school there, and they are credited with the conversion and the discipleship of the first known native Albanian pastor, Gerasim Chiriazi. 
He would go on to study in the American Theological Seminary in Samakov, Bulgaria. Later, he would come in contact with Alexander Thompson of the British Bible Society. And in 1884, he would be employed by them as the primary responsible person for the Albanian project. He would move back to Monastir and establish a mission there, open a book depot and oversee the work of the book distributors. Gerasim Chiriazi, as seen in the next slide, preaching from the pulpit, with a, wearing a traditional male costume of the South of Albanian. I'm wearing the female version of the costume today. Mine is a replica, but it's a 200-year-old costume of the... I'm going to step out here. There you go. He, <laughs> he is wearing the male version, and to honor him today, um, I thought that would be nice to have this um, present here today, to, to honor his spirit. So he um, was the director of the Albanian Evangelical Worship Services. He was the administrator of the Bible Society Depot and the supervisor of the Bible distributors. Under cooperation with him, Thompson and Gerasim would revise and refine the publications that Christophoridi had, had uh, accomplished. Now, what's important about the work of this family, that it relates to this date today, March 7th, the Albanian mission would set up an important work in Korcha, which thrives to this day, which included the very first Albanian school for girls, which was set on March 7th. And they were set by his remarkable sisters, Parashevi and Sevasti Chiriazi. And they are known to us as the teachers of the nation because they truly believed that to reach the heart of the nation, they had to reach and educate the women so that mothers and grandmothers could raise Timothys. And so their strategy was to set up these schools to educate the women and to make them known the scriptures. This mission had also a congregation of Bible believers where Gerasim Chiriazi would preach, as well as Grigor Tsilka, another Albanian who was a Moody Bible Seminary graduate. In 1892, they founded the Albanian Evangelical Fellowship, which revived in the 1990s and is the Union of Albanian Evangelical Churches to this day. They labored during a very difficult time. Uh, when the Greeks tried to annex that part of Albania, they faced a lot of opposition. They were second in the list of people that were to be killed because they labored to have the scriptures in the Albanian language and the Orthodox Greek church did not like that. There were several cases of poisoning teachers, Albanian teachers, and Bible believers who tried to spread the word in the native tongue. One of the most important education contributions of the Chiriazi family was their role in the Monastery Congress, which is a gathering of Albanian luminaries to determine a unified and standardized Albanian alphabet. They knew that without having an alphabet that was unified north to south, east to west, they couldn't reach the people because they couldn't have a Bible in a language that everybody understood and read. That alphabet is the one we use to this day. So Albanians owe their first alphabet, their first printing book, their first schools, their first dictionary to a handful of Bible believers shining in the darkness of dark ages with their resolute faith in God and a fervent zeal for the souls of their nation. After the Congress of Monastir, the work continued for the publishing of biblical texts now with a new alphabet. And they were ever hoping 
for the help of foreign missionaries to help them conclude an entire translation. But every attempt for a new work was not successful, especially after the death of Chiriazi at 36 years old. Then Albania would go on to gain its independence from the Ottoman Empire in 1912, but became the ground of many battles during World War I and World War II. And then it fell, after World War II, behind the Iron Curtain from 1945 to 1992, one of the harshest communist regimes in Europe. And during the reign, the communist regime of Ember Hoxha, the country also experienced an unprecedented event in modern history. We are the only country in the world to have experienced this in modern history. In 1967, the Albanian constitution declared the nation atheist by law, prohibiting any form of religious expression, destroying the majority of religious institutions and religious books were banned. So from 1967 till 1991 was complete and utter darkness. But God, who is rich in mercy, he turned his eyes toward our nation. And in the fall of communism, in the early 90s, missionaries started to come to our country. And Jeff was one of the early missionaries, uh, as early as 1992, correct? And um, in 1991, the Albanian Bible Society was founded with the aim of translating the entire Bible into Albanian. That work would be concluded in 1994, translated from the Italian, the new Diodati. It is the Bible widely used by the evangelical and Protestant churches to this day. It is the Bible I got saved with. The translation was done under immense time pressure. It's understandable. They're trying to spread the word out as soon as possible. They need to get something in the hands of the believers. So when the translation was done, it was done with the understanding that in time it would undergo refinement and revisions for accuracy both grammatically and biblically. So the New Testament was revised in 2002 and all the Old Testament in 2009. However, the subsequent work failed to improve on the existing translation and it rather introduced new issues and problems. But from 1827, when the first print of Matthew was done, all the way to 2009, all the Albanian Bible texts in wide use are from the Texas Receptus line. So from the time Paul stepped on our shores and throughout the Dark Ages, the dominant manuscripts in the Albanian territories, both in Greek language and in Albanian language, were from the Texas Receptus line. However, in 2005, the first New Testament translated from the corrupt line would appear in circulation. The translator died before finishing the Old Testament so that first translation did not find massive use in the churches. But in the recent years, as, as recent as 2020, a new translation based on the Nestle Allen Greek text from the corrupt line of manuscripts has been concluded, and it's in circulation. It contains both the Old and the New Testaments, and it is the work of three translators, a Catholic priest, a Greek Orthodox priest, and a professing Protestant. It is called the together version. So, I want to conclude before Arion continues to talk to you about why 
why we need a new translation. By thanking you for the years, I know that there are several generations here, and I've met generations of older Americans who, when they find out that I'm from Albania, tell me that they used to pray for my country when my country was closed. And I'm grateful because I am the, direct, the generation that's the direct beneficiary of those prayers. The first generation of evangelical believers in the 90s, from the 1800s into the 90s, that could freely go to church. And when I got my first Bible in 1995, I got saved in, on Christmas Eve 1995, a year after this Bible was translated, I had no idea how precious and unique the privilege was of what I had in my hand and could put under my pillow. But I took it as the ultimate word and words of God and bet on it with my entire life. And that faith has made all the difference. And it is the number one qualifier that by God's grace allow me, allows me to stand in front of you today. That there is a cause and there is a charge. And there is a 200 years old at least amanet which is an Albanian word for the last request of a dying man, which is the precious, a precious promise that they make you say at the bedside, right? There's a 200-year-old charge for us to conclude this work. And the only thing I want to say is God forgive me for not attempting sooner. Because as we all know, time is running short. And the word of God deserves to be held up high perfect and pure because God has exalted his word above all his name and the word of God deserves it more than the souls of the Albanian deserve to know the truth it's the word of God that deserves to be presented in its full glory and truth uncorrupt and untainted so we are eternally grateful to God for bringing us to this point and we are eternally grateful to the believers throughout the ages from our country, from your country, from England, from Scotland, from everybody that has placed a stone on this path that has led us to this point. And we trust that he, that he has started a good work in us, is also able to finish it. Thank you very much. All right, I, I think she can finish the rest of it. I, I don't need to take over. <laughs> uh, it, it will not be long, okay? But I, I want to continue and to finish the, the part. I, I understand that some of this history may be completely new and un, unknown to, to most of you. And what's important about all of that is what she said at the very end, which is there is an unfinished work when it comes to putting and having the, the, the words of God into the Albanian language. And so I, I want to continue to give you some examples of why this is, why we need a new, a new translation and why this is, this is important. Now, many of you will, will be very well acquainted with this chart. I want to show you a, a chart, which you can't read, of course, but <laughs> uh, it, it, just, it just shows the two lines of, of manuscript. If you are not familiar with this, that, that's okay. I'm just going to give you the one-minute version of what this represents. On one line, we have the Bibles that come from Antioch of Syria. That's the place where the disciples were first called Christians in Acts chapter 11. That's the place where the Apostle Paul was first sent out. That everything in the book of Acts, in the Bible, about this place is positive, is connected with God's 
blessing and God's work and, and, and the missionary efforts of people preaching the gospel. This is also called the majority text, over 6,000 manuscripts, people, Bible believers believing and, and distributing the word of God all, all over the, the world. This, con this, this is where the, the Texas Receptus that, that she mentioned come, comes from, which culminates with the King James Bible. There's also Bibles in other languages that you may be familiar with, such as the Lutheran Bible or the Valera Bible in, in Spanish or the Diodati in, in Italian that come from the same line of manuscripts. On the other side, there's also what is, what is called the Alexandrian text. This is text that has been corrupted. It was changed. And as a result, there's Bibles that come from these two lines of manuscripts. And they're distinct, even though they have a lot of similarities, they also have a lot of differences. Now, again, if you're not familiar with this, if you are new to this church, then you, you may or may not have heard this before. If you are not new to this church, I'm sure this is not new to you, of, of course, but I, I, any amount of time I would take tonight beyond this would really not do any justice to this topic, because this is a topic that takes weeks and, and, and months to, to really ex explain in full. But suffice it to say that all the Bibles that you can find in the market today, and there's over 150 versions in English, they come basically from these two lines of manuscripts. And to give you an idea, and this is, these would be the same in any language, it doesn't matter what language you find a Bible in, they're translated from one of these two sources. So I want to show you what the, for instance, the, the Together version, uh, some of the problems that are with it, that result as, the re as, as uh, an effect of the source, source of where they come from. Now, of course, I'm going to have the, the verse in Albanian, which won't do much to help you with, with uh, showing you the differences. So to make it you know, easier for the context in which we are here tonight, I'll, I'll put the, the, the English versions up so we can compare and just give you some, some really quick examples. Okay, this cannot be comprehensive tonight, but just to give you an idea if you're not familiar with, with the text. For, for instance, in Acts chapter 7, it's the story of the salvation of the first, for, first Gentile, the, the Ethiopian eunuch. And in verse uh, 37, in the King James, it says, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. Because he says, What must I do to be saved? And uh, he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, verse 37 is missing on all of the Bibles that come from the Alexandrian line of manuscripts. It's just not there. It goes from, here's the international version, the new international version, for instance, and it goes from verse 36 to verse 38. There's no verse 37. Now, some publications of it may put a note there by verse 37 and say that it's, it's missing. They may say that some manuscripts have this verse in there, but what is the verse? The guy, the guy asked the question, what should I do to be saved? And then his confession that you need, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is removed. Now, why would a believer in Jesus Christ remove that line? And so the next line is that they stop the chariot and they baptize the man. So in the manuscripts that come from the corrupt line, the story is somebody asks, what should I do to be saved? And the answer is, you get on the water and be baptized. That changes the gospel. We don't get saved by being baptized. We get saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so these manuscripts, of course, the Albanian Bible, I've put the verses up there just so you can see, but they have the verse 36 and 37 together <laughs> because they have to keep up with the verses of the King James. And, but there's no verse 37, and they have a note there before verse 38 if you hover over that little uh, line there, which says, again, the, the, the same thing. But they have the verse missing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 in the King James, it says, in whom talking about Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. The phrase through his blood Amen. has been removed in the modern translations. And for instance, the NIV reads, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, it's very important how we have redemption because it's through his blood and the word has been removed. In Luke chapter 2, verse 33, the King James Version says, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, talking about Jesus. The NIV and the other translations, they say the child's father and mother. Joseph was not Jesus' father. If he, if he was, we wouldn't be saved today because we were not born again by the will of man. Amen? So, again, a change in the verse attacks the very deity of Christ. It's important. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, he says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Paul says that as early as the Apostle Paul, the first century, people were corrupting the word of God. The devil, we talked about it this morning, will always attack the word of God, will always attack the, the, the whole world of word of God, as well as individual words of God. And Paul says, we're not as many which corrupt the word of God. Well, some people have trouble with the word correct, uh, corrupt, because that's what they were doing. So they substituted that to say, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Well, I'm glad you don't. However, that's not what the verse says. <laughs> the verse says that some people corrupt the Word of God. And again, the verse in, in Albanian says, says the same thing. Why? Because it follows that manuscript. And if the manuscript is corrupt, it doesn't matter how good the translator is. It doesn't matter how many degrees does he have. The verse is just not there. The, verse, the, the word is wrong in the text that you're translating it from. In 2 Timothy 2.15, King James, it says, Study to show thyself, thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the, the, that's the way we approach the Bible. We rightly divide the word of truth. And if we don't rightly divide the word of truth, we are going to wrongly divide it. We're going to teach the wrong things. And the phrase rightly dividing has been uh, changed in all the new versions. The NIV, for instance, says uh, correctly handles the word of truth. And you cannot correctly handle the word of truth if you don't rightly divide it. And so there's, there's I'm just giving give you a few examples. Okay? There are hundreds and hundreds of these problems where verses have been removed, verses have been changed, words have been changed, words have been added, and it all boils down to what lines of manuscripts they come from. One line is very clear. The fruit of that line is very clear. It's God's work throughout the centuries using his people to preserve his word. And this is not unique to Albania. She, she talked about how 
in, in Europe and, and other countries, the people that were interested in bringing the Word of God into the language of every nation, those are the people that had an interest in getting people educated. That's why you have all these figures, all these people who are connected with bringing the language to the people, an alphabet or a dictionary or schools, because they're interested to have the people read the Bible for themselves. Amen. Amen. And so that's why it's important. You know, I, I was 15 years old when communism fell. And so we in school during communism were hearing about these people who are, you know, the founding fathers, if you, if you will, of, of the country, but didn't know anything about the, their history of their faith. And it's, it's, it's a blessing to find out after all these years that the reason why these people were patriots is because they loved God. Amen. And the Bible says that the righteousness exalts a nation. Amen. And if you want to do the right thing, then you are a patriot. You love your country. If you love God, you love your country. You will be a patriot. You will do your best to bring education and to bring the light of the Word of God to the people in, in their own language. Now, we also talked about the fact that in, uh, right after the fall of communism, there is a Bible that is translated from the right line of manuscripts. It's translated primar primarily, primarily from the New Diodati, will be like the New King James equivalent. And so the claim is that it is translated from the Textus Receptus. And again, we are very thankful for the, word, the work that all these people did throughout, throughout the years. However, again, this translation is not perfect. This translation also takes verses from the corrupt line of manuscripts. It is not true to its origin. It claims that it does so. And I, I want to give you some examples in this. And my, my goal in, in all of this is we don't want to hide anything. If this wasn't the case, we wouldn't be here tonight. <laughs> if there was no need for a perfect translation, then there would be no cause... There will be nothing to talk about tonight. So we don't want to hide anything. We want to tell you as, as, as it is. So let me give you some examples of this, what it, what it looks like. Uh, for instance, in, in the KJV, 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about ladies and, and women and says this thing, whose adorning, let it not be that, of, uh, that out, outward adorning of plating of hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of, of apparel, but let it be the the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. So basically what the verse says is that women shouldn't adorn themselves just on the outward appearance. Not that they shouldn't adorn themselves. It just says that the physical appearance shouldn't be the end of their adorning. But some Bibles, and specifically this, uh, I found one in an amplified Bible, which is uh, uh, what the reading is in our Bible in Albania. They have added the word expensive apparel. So basically it says, so why is this important? It, it changes completely the meaning of the verse. So now the meaning of the verse is women shouldn't do their hair, they shouldn't wear any jewelry, and they shouldn't put on expensive clothes. That's not what the verse says. The verse says, women are going to adorn themselves because that's what they do. Amen? <laughs> they want to look pretty. <laughs> that's what they do. 
the verse says, just don't let that be your only adorning. But by adding the word expensive apparel, they have completely changed the meaning of the verse and they have introduced legalism into the text. Amen. Now, do you know the mess people get into if they, if they don't understand what, what that means? Now you, have, now you have to have a committee at church to decide what is expensive apparel. <laughs> Who decides what's expensive? The Bible doesn't tell you what expensive apparel means. I mean, a $30 outfit would be considered cheap here, but not in a, in a country where people survive on $2 a day. So you know the mess you get into if you change the Word of God? Amen. It's already perfect. You don't have to add anything to Amen. it. And so the Albanian Bible has the same problem. The, the, the word expensive is nowhere to, to be found on any translation that comes from the Texas Receptus. So they borrowed that from the corrupt line of manuscripts and put that, verse in, that word in there, completely changing the meaning of, of the verse. King James, uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, the reading in, in Albanian is different. It's very similar to the NIV reading, which says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. There's a big difference beyond cure and desperately wicked. Somebody had trouble with God saying that our hearts are desperately wicked. So it just says, oh, your heart is just beyond cure. At a certain point, you're going to die. That's not what the verse says. It's desperately wicked. We are wicked. We need a Savior. We need God Amen. to transform us. 1 Timothy 6, 5, it says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. Okay, so some people think that gain is godliness. Now what? The Albanian Bible, the NIV, here's what they say. They say that who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. They changed it. They flipped it. God says these people think that gain is godliness. Because you are blessed financially, you think that you're doing the right thing. That may or may not be the case. <laughs> and they flipped the meaning and they say, oh, they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. That's not at all what the verse says. It says the opposite. KJV, 2 Corinthians 4, it says, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. The NIV, the Albanian Bible too, it says we have renounced secret and shameful ways. That's a very different meaning than hidden things of dishonesty. I could, I could give you a lot more uh, examples, but I only have another hour and a half. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, you're following, so I'm, I'm glad. You know. I have to put a joke in there and make sure you're, you're with me. <laughs> so there is a need for the translation. For a translation, this will not be a revision, our work. So let me briefly say, what, what are we proposing we're going to do? This will be a translation, a new translation from the King James Bible. It will not be a revision on, of any of the previous works. It will be a fresh translation. With it, Within a framework of three and a half years, Lord willing, we will bring a dictionary, a concordance, we'll bring a website with all the search tools, 
that anybody that wants to follow the Bible and search the Scriptures, as the Lord says, to search the Scriptures to their disposal. I have been preaching for 20-some years. I know what a preacher needs to prepare for a sermon. I know what somebody needs when they want to get serious about the Word of God, what tools they need to study it. And so we plan to, to, to provide that. We also plan to provide a mobile version in iOS and Android. We know the time that we live in, and these are, these are tools that people should have in, in their hands. And of course, a full, a full translation of the Old and, and the New Testament. Our life will continue to bring in other works, to bring in church history, to explain to people why is it important for you to adopt this translation. Why? why? Because there is a history behind it. That's how the Lord has worked in, in centuries and bring in other publications which are so desperately needed. Particularly for this project, we're praying that the Lord will allow us to complete this in three in three and a half years. The work is immense. The attacks of the devil have started in unimaginable ways. And we are humbled by the privilege for God to use us. Now, many of you don't know us personally. Some of you do for for many years. Uh, So you may be saying, well, why you? And of course, we will be sharing more tomorrow and and the next day we'll share more about our, our testimony and why we would think we think that the Lord will have us do 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 this work, but this is what we're preparing for. This is what we're praying for, and we will desperately need your prayers for this work. It's 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 a work that has not been finished. It is a work that desi- that deserves to be finished, to bring the word of God into the language of our people. There is nothing more important that a person can do in their walk, in their personal walk with Christ, in any community of believers or in, or in any nation that to bring the Word of God to their people. And so we are humbly praying that God will allow us to do this work. Did I forget anything? Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, just to, just to reinforce one more time what we're hoping to do. So the, the short-term goal of three and a half years is to do an entire new translation based solely on the King James Bible, and also referring to uh, other translations uh, in other languages from the Texas Receptus line. I'm fluent in Italian as well as in English and some German and some Greek, so we'll use the Diodati, the the old Diodati, which is um, a few years before the King James Bible, but they are the same line. Uh, As Arion said, we would make uh, a parallel with this. We'll provide a Bible dictionary with the definitions of the keywords, a concordance, a search engine, uh, a website with tools for preachers, with the hope that the midterm goal would be to have a printed copy of a study Bible in Albanian so that anyone, just like Christopher Edi, was searching and without even coming in contact with some missionary, just God just gave him light because he was searching and could come in contact with the truth and recognize the truth. We want to be able for anyone to be able to have a copy, a printed copy of a study Bible uh, in their hands. And then the long-term goal is to support this translation with other tools, tools about church history and history of manuscripts and 
uh, tools for churches, uh, anything from you know, how to study the Bible or, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the, the courses that you do in Bible Institute, but also practical daily living uh, materials in uh, mixed media. So, uh, yeah, just wanted to refresh that, hit the refresh button on that. So we'll, 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 continue, we'll continue tomorrow to share more about this, our testimonies and, and the Word, and uh, we welcome any questions, any feedback you might have. Jeff, would Thank you, come? you.